Should I go ahead? I'm just going to read my text. Genesis 3, 1 to 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some. All right, thank you.
Hey guys, I'm Kristen. And I'm Kara. Welcome to Town and Field Church. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning. And as we prepare to gather and open up the scripture and worship, we pray that wherever you are at would become an encounter with Jesus and that you would be reminded of the abundant life that's found in him. Yeah, we just pray that your home would become an extension of this house, that you would feel welcome here just as you are. Our service will begin in just a moment.
Would you pray with me? God, I love that line in that song. That you would be our everything. And God, we want to make sure and we want to we want to worship you above everything else. That you're worthy to be glorified and honored and praised in this place. And so often I give my adoration to other things that that fail me and let me down and don't fulfill. But this morning, God, we're reminded that in you is our vision, in you is our purpose, in you is our identity, in you is our calling, in you we find ourselves. And so, God, we just want in this thin space, this place where we get to come and worship you and be in your presence, we just want to declare afresh on this day that, God, it's, it's you over everything. So would you be honored and glorified in this space, God, as we enter into what's already going on. As we enter into the already worship service that's taking place in the heavenly dimension. We just join an anthem and a chorus, God, in glorifying you.
Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen. 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 Oh, so good this morning to be with you. Why don't we just take a moment, find somebody nearby, greet them, welcome them. Oh, so good to see you this morning. My name is Catlin, one of the staff, one of the pastors here at Townfield Church. We're so glad you're here. If it's your first time, you're so welcome in this, to be in this place. You don't have to believe to belong. We're just glad you're here. Uh, it's, you know, one of our deep desires, we went through this over Vision Sunday, but our desire here is that people would experience abundant life found in the way of Jesus. And we hope as we do life together in community where you can belong and be known, that you discover who Jesus is, to discover the abundant life found in the way of Jesus. And, and that's our deep desire here. This morning is so special, man. Um, you get a break from me. Amen. As some people are just like, that's, this is good news. But uh, we just have come through our Eden series. Man, what a good series. What a good series. And, uh, but this morning, man, we are just, uh, my dear, dear friend is in town and, and with us this morning. And I'm just, I'm maybe a little bit giddy this morning. I get excited about some people, and then there's some people I get really excited about. And uh, somebody just went, oh, it's true. My, back in February, I had found, um, I found out that my friend was speaking at a conference here in the city um, this weekend. And so I had reached out back in February. I said, hey, I see you're at conference. And uh, would, you, would you stay longer in town so you, could, so you could bless me and bless our church? And so gratefully, she said yes. And so Pastor Melissa is here. Pastor Melissa lives in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and um, is the, yeah, there's some Thunder Bay people here. What's really funny is pa uh, Pastor Melissa pastors a church called Redwood, and there's actually a number of Redwood people that have moved out this way to the promised land and now uh, are at Town and Field Church. And so I have met a lot of people that uh, were previously, in fact, the chair of our board, um, Greg, going back in the day, uh, was like their youth pastor at Redwood, and some of their old staff are, are out here and with us here at Townfield Church. And so there's just like an odd connection, which is really fun. There's a couple of things, if I could shout a couple things down about Melissa before she comes up. I don't like to brag on too many people, but I'll brag on Melissa. Um, Melissa and I uh, did ministry together in the city for a number of years. Uh, she was my boss for a while, so um, that was, you, you, got, you got a version of Catlin that was developed by Melissa, and so you're lucky. Melissa got the untamed, uh, crazy, um, undeveloped Catlin, and uh, he was he was wild. He was he, yeah. It is not. I I don't know. I don't want to confess all my sins here, but um, Pastor Melissa really helped develop me in my leadership, my spiritual formation. But here's the thing I wanted to highlight the most is um, Pastor Melissa is somebody who's been breaking some barriers. In some really cool ways, and, if, and I thought about how should I how should I shout Melissa down? 
And this is how, this is just what I want to highlight about Melissa, is that um, she works for an, an, an alliance church, Redwood, Redwood Park is part of the Christian Mission Alliance. And she's the first female lead pastor in the alliance. And she's also the first female indigenous leader in the alliance. And I'm just really proud of my friend who, you don't get me all choked up, um, who's breaking barriers for the indigenous community, um, for females in leadership. And if I haven't made it very clear, I'll make it clear right now. I'm a big advocate of females in leadership. I know not everyone is. That's okay. You've already emailed me. Don't email me again. And um, you don't have to agree with me. I'm not saying you have to agree with me. I'm just saying that's my position. And, um, and so I'm very just proud of my friend for breaking barriers, um, for opening doors for women in leadership and ministry, but also for the indigenous community in leadership and in ministry. And so um, with that, I would love to just give Melissa a big TNF welcome as she comes up. Getting me all emotional. Before yeah, we're I gonna get. Speak. We're just gonna have a moment. We'll all get choked up together. Um, but yeah, it is such an honor to have you back on the West Coast, but also in the church that I've had the privilege over the last few years to be part of and my my community and um, place I've got to pastor the last little while. And so it's just an honor for you to come in and 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 bless us. And so love to pray for you, and then you can run. Okay, please. God, we're so thankful for what you've done through the life of Melissa. Um, for ground you've taken in the kingdom, for bringing a voice to the indigenous community in the Christian context. We're grateful for the influence you've, uh, you, you've, you've opened doors to, God, for all the things she's, she's a part of now, for all the things that she's bringing a voice to, God. We're so grateful for that. And um, when you gave her a little bit, she was faithful, so you gave her more. And we're grateful for that stewardship of the gift, of her gift, the stewardship of the influence you've given her, God. And so we just want to pray favor over her ministry, God. And as we engage in your scriptures this morning, God, would you illuminate our mind, provoke our curiosity into the scriptures, God, as she highlights it and, and brings it to us. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're such a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Wow. That was, that was something. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad to be here. I was just, as you were praying for me, I was thinking, you know, the last time that you and I stood like that together at the front was that conference that we put on. I think you were the host and I did some talk or whatever and you prayed for me right before I spoke there and just, wow, this is kind of a full circle moment. I'm so glad to be here today. As Catelyn said, my name is Melissa Ewing and I am a member of the Namgis First Nation. Uh, of the Kwakwakwak people. I'm also a descendant of settlers from Norway and England and Ireland. Uh, I am the wife of Jay. Uh, I am the mother of two teenage daughters. Uh, and I am from BC. Uh, I was born on Vancouver Island. I grew up in Squamish and Kamloops. Uh, fun fact, I lived five minutes away from here for four years. Uh, my daughter went to uh, kindergarten at Blacklock Fine Arts Elementary School. <laughs> so it was just driving here, uh, driving down 200 this morning. I took a little detour, drove past our old condo, drove past the school, a little drive down memory lane. And it's just so fun to be here. Uh, but as Catlin mentioned, we don't live in BC anymore. We are a family on mission in Thunder Bay. And uh, I'm the lead pastor on staff at Redwood Park Church, and my husband also works at the church. He is our pastor of spiritual formation. 
And we have discerned in the last couple of years that our vision that God has given us is to be a church of reconciliation. In particular, as a people being reconciled to God through Jesus, we are joining him on his mission to see all people reconciled to God, to themselves, to each other, and to the earth. And our belief is that this isn't just a calling for us in Thunder Bay at Redwood Park Church. This is a calling for all of us as followers of Jesus. But before I get there, who's been to Thunder Bay besides you guys? <laughs> okay, for those of you who have your hands up, put your hand down if you've only been to Thunder Bay because you drove through because it's the only stop in the Trans-Canada Highway. Anybody been to Thunder Bay to visit? All right, I see one hand. Okay, I have a map to show you. <laughs> uh, I did not know where Thunder Bay was until uh, we began interviewing at the church. So you can see that little red dot. We are on the north shore of Lake Superior, and we're considered northern Ontario or northwestern Ontario, even though we're actually further south than Vancouver. But everything in Ontario is in relation to Toronto. Uh, Thunder Bay is pretty isolated. Uh, we're eight hours in one direction from Winnipeg and eight hours in the other direction from Sault Ste. Marie. And what you can't see in that map is north of us are thousands and thousands of lakes and tons of little tiny communities, most of which are indigenous reserves. And they're only um, accessible through plane or through an ice road in the winter. Um, Thunder Bay has some of the nicest, most hospitable, generous people we've ever met in our entire life. Uh, our daughters have spent most of their life living right in Vancouver. And when we moved to Thunder Bay, they're like, this is so weird. The people here are so nice and I don't know what to do with it because they're not used to people speaking to them randomly as they're walking down the street. Uh, fun fact about Thunder Bay, it has the highest Finnish population outside of Finland, and so there are a lot of saunas happening, but if you're from Thunder Bay, you'd say sauna. <laughs> um, uh, your brother has offered to help us build one in our basement, <laughs> uh, which we really want to do because we have fallen in love with sauna culture. Uh, and in particular, uh, jumping in an ice cold lake and going in a sauna or rolling around in the snow and going in a sauna. Uh, Thunder Bay has an abundance of outdoor activities. So if you're into things like hiking and mountain biking and skiing, that's the place to live. And I would go so far to say is that Thunder Bay people spend more time outside than people in BC and on the West Coast because, guys, we're babies on the West Coast. We don't go outside when it's minus 10, but people in Thunder Bay do year round. It's quite amazing. There's another face to Thunder Bay though as well. If you're indigenous in Canada, you've heard of Thunder Bay, but not for a good reason. When we told our dad that we were moving there, my dad said, why are you moving my granddaughters to one of the most racist places in Canada? If you've seen on the news stories about the lack of clean drinking water in reserves or um, suicide pacts among 11-year-olds, usually those stories are coming out of Thunder Bay or northwestern Ontario or northeastern Manitoba. Uh, when we moved to Thunder Bay, one of the first people I met was an Indigenous woman, and she said, why would you move to Murder Bay? Because Thunder Bay at that point was considered the murder capital of Canada, the most murders per capita of anywhere, and most of those murders are of Indigenous people. So your experience at Thunder Bay is going to depend on who you are. 
And as somebody who is both indigenous and white and living on the border of the two cultures, I've experienced both sides of Thunder Bay. Our calling as a church to be a church of reconciliation really is because we want to be a church for the city. And we want to engage missionally and we want to see all people know Jesus. And we know that God is calling us to be part of uniting our city together. That will only happen through Christ. A number of years ago, I sat in on a workshop uh, by Jody Wilson-Raybould, and some of you might recognize the name. She was the federal minister of justice, uh, and she's Kwakwakwak like me. Her riding was in Vancouver. And the workshop was about how we as Canadians can engage in indigenous reconciliation. And Jody concluded that after years of working in the federal government and for indigenous governance, that the government can't legislate reconciliation. The government can't do it because reconciliation is about relationships. And so she was telling all of the people who are listening that if we want to participate in the reconciliation of Canada, then we need to be in-betweeners. We need to stand in the gaps where the relationships are broken. And I couldn't believe it. I don't know Jody. I've never met her. She's kwakwakwak like me. So I don't know where, if she's a believer or not. Well, essentially what she was telling is the listeners to act like Christians. Because as followers of Jesus, not only are we made for reconciliation, we are called by God for reconciliation. It doesn't matter who you are. This is who we are as Christians. So today we're going to go back to the big story of the Bible. We're going to see how reconciliation is God's idea, how he made us for it, and how he's given us this specific role. And you can see the thread right from the very beginning, right to the very end. And if we want to participate in any kind of reconciliation, any kind of racial reconciliation, any kind of reconciliation between family members um, in our city, in Langley, in the BC, in Canada, As followers of Jesus, when we locate it within the big biblical picture of reconciliation, it begins to make sense, and it all of a sudden begins to seem achievable because it's God's work in the world. So we're going to go back to the very beginning, to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In the beginning, there's only God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mysteriously existing three in one. God spoke creation into being. Let there be light, and there's light. Let there be trees, and there's trees. Let there be the ocean, and the animals, and the fish, and the sea, and all those things came into being. And then God gets to humans. And he says in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Or in other words, let us Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make human beings in our image. Now, I've heard uh, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, described as a relationship. Daryl Johnson, in his book, Experiencing the Trinity, says that the center of the universe is a relationship. So if human beings are made in the image of God, and if God in his very essence is a relationship, then we are made for relationships. And we see in Genesis 1 and 2 four really good relationships that human beings are made for. I'm going to unpack those, and then we're going to read a passage from Genesis 3. Before we get to Genesis 3, though, we see these four relationships working the way they're supposed to be. The first one is between humans with God. It's the first and most important relationship. Those first human beings that are created are called Adam and Eve. 
And they're placed in this beautiful garden to live. And they walk with God in the garden. And they enjoy intimacy with him and friendship with him. This is the way that it's supposed to be. And all of the other relationships flow out of this first and most important one. The second one is with humans and the earth. They live in this garden and they're given this role to take care of the earth as a God would take care of the earth. And not only are they given a job to steward God's good creation, they meet with God in the garden. It's why when we're outside and we're walking through the forest or we're seeing a beautiful sunrise over the ocean, we just feel so close to God. His presence is so near to us. It's because God made us for this. The next good relationship we see is between humans and each other. Now, when God creates everything, he says, it is good. Let there be light, it's good. Let there be animals, and it's good. And the first time God says, it is not good, is after he creates Adam and he sees that Adam is alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve. We are made for each other, quite literally, made for relationship. And with this, creation is complete. But there's one last relationship, the fourth one between humans with themselves. We're told in Genesis, the, the last verse in Genesis 2, that Adam and Eve are naked and they feel no shame. Now, to be naked is in a state of complete vulnerability with God and with each other. And to feel shame is to feel not enough, to feel not good enough. I don't measure up. There's something wrong with me. But we're told Adam and Eve are in this complete state of vulnerability, and they don't feel shame. They feel totally good about who they are. I heard the author and pastor and speaker, Daniel Strickland, once describe humility as agreeing with God about who he says I am. Adam and Eve are totally humble. They're agreeing with God about who God says they are. They know who they are in light of who God is. They are his creation. They are loved by him. They're really good with their role in the garden. It's all good. Now, it's not long in the story before these relationships begin to break. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 3. And so we're going to read today from Genesis 3, verses 1 to 10. And as we do, see if you can find those four good relationships being broken. So we'll start in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And I'm just going to pause because I'm not sure... um, if Kat has unpacked who this serpent is for <laughs> in your preaching, so I'm just going to do a little time out. Uh, the serpent is thought of as biblical scholars as Satan, as an angel of light who once was in the throne room of God and rebelled against God, turning against him. And from then on, he is bent on taking God out. And he does so by trying to take us out, the followers of Jesus. And so watch how this serpent now begins to work to break these relationships. So we'll pick up again. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is the word of the Lord. And before I go on, I'm just going to pause, and I'm just going to pray. Lord, um, we're pausing right now in this story because um, we've seen the way that it was supposed to be, and we see where brokenness enters the story. And as we begin to unpack the rest of the story and the good news in all of this, I pray that you would open our eyes, enlighten our hearts, and give us a word today. I pray that you would um, speak to this church your vision um, that you want us to take home today. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Did you catch the four broken relationships? I'm going to unpack them, just in case you didn't. (laughs) The first good relationship that's broken is the one between humans and God. So a snake comes in and tempts Adam and Eve to eat the fruit because their eyes will be open. They will know good or they will know, they will have knowledge. They will be like God and they won't need God anymore. He's tempting them to break relationship with God and they give in. And then when they do, their eyes are open, but they don't go running to God. They run away from God. And from this broken relationship, all of the other relationships are broken. The next one is between humans and the earth. And I'm going to tell a little bit of an analogy here because I think this is the one that we in the Western church tend to miss. We tend to overlook this one. And so back, oh goodness, about 15 years ago or so, uh, my husband Jay and I lived and worked at a place called Arasha. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Arasha. It's an organization that's committed to caring for God's creation flowing out of this Genesis 1 and 2 uh, mandate for us to care for God's earth. And uh, there's a field study center in South Surrey, and we lived at it, and it's this beautiful farm. And uh, every single day, I would go out into the garden, and I would ask the farmer, Paul, Paul, what is good to eat today? What's in season? And whatever he said would become our lunch or our dinner. And uh, one particular day, we head out into the, or I head out in the garden, Paul, what's in season today? And Paul says, oh, come with me. And he leads me to the tomato patch. Now, a little backstory: I hate tomatoes. <laughs> I've never liked tomatoes. I like ketchup. Uh, I like tomato sauce from a jar. <laughs> up until that point, I would try to avoid tomatoes at all costs. But Paul is really excited. He leads me to the tomato patch. And before I can say anything, he plucks this tomato, cherry tomato off the vine, he wraps it in a leaf of basil, and he's so excited that I can't say no, and so I pop the tomato in my mouth, my eyes are open, and I fall in love, not with Paul, but with the tomato. It was so delicious, I had no idea that tomatoes could taste so good. You might say that my relationship with tomatoes was broken, because I was disconnected from the earth, or really disconnected from the earth's ability to produce good food in season that tastes good and nourishes our bodies. 
In Genesis 3, did you notice that the first sin committed, breaking relationship with God, is also a sin against creation? They take fruit from the tree that they're instructed not to touch. God has placed a limit on his earth. And he's given humans instructions on how to care for it, and they use creation in a way that never was intended to be used. We can look around the world now and we can see all sorts of evidence for the ways that we humans have been living outside of God's limitations on creation and our calling to care for it. The next broken relationship is between humans and each other. So Adam and Eve take the fruit, they eat it, and when they do, their eyes are opened and they sew, or they make, not sew, but they make these flimsy fig leaf coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, there's something in between them. Their relationship with each other has changed. And then after, when they're hiding behind some bushes from God, and God calls out to them, and they come out, and he asks them what happened, and then Adam goes ahead and he blames Eve. Their relationship is breaking even more, further and further apart, and it's breaking right in front of God. And then the last broken relationship is the one that humans have with themselves. When Adam and Eve's relationship with God is broken, when they begin to doubt God, when they no longer trust God, when they're trying to be like God, all of a sudden they don't know who they are in light of who he is. Their identity is not starting with him anymore. It's starting somewhere else. And then we see shame entering the picture. Remember how Adam and Eve are naked and they feel no shame? Well, when their eyes are open, they cover themselves with these fig leaves and they hide behind the bushes. Every time we begin to hide parts of ourselves away from somebody else, we know shame is operating. And so this is our origin story. This is the beginning of humanity. And I wonder if you can think of some sort of brokenness in the world, whether it's a broken relationship that you're currently in, uh, it's an issue in the world, some of the global conflicts, uh, climate change, addiction, whatever it is, can you trace it back to one or four of these broken relationships? Hope is not lost. God had a plan right from the beginning for reconciliation, a restoration of these broken relationships to happen. When we go from Genesis throughout the rest of the Bible, when we read the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that happens before Jesus, we see God continually trying to reconcile these relationships. But we see humanity moving further and further and further and further away from God. And it breaks God's heart. Because he knows that in order for humans, the people he loves to flourish, we need to live in these four relationships. This is what we're made for. And so God comes to the earth he created to reconcile all things. Jesus, God in the flesh, is born. He grows up. He has this ministry that is about showing the world what it looks like to live reconciled. He heals people. He transforms them. He mends the brokenness. He ends up going to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, he takes upon all of the sin of all of humanity with him down to the grave. Now, when I preach on this, I like to define sin as the things that we do that break relationship with God and each other and the earth and ourselves. So Jesus takes that with him in the cross for our forgiveness. But forgiveness is not the end. 
we often talk about God's forgiveness as being the end goal of the cross, but forgiveness happens so that we can enter back in to relationship. The cross and Jesus' resurrection is about the reconciliation of all things. And until Jesus comes back again in the very end of the Bible, as we see described, uh, we have this role to participate in the reconciliation of all things. Because when Jesus comes back, he will restore everything for good. The new heaven and the new earth will be ushered in. And we will see every nation, every tribe, every tongue worshiping before the throne of God in this new heavenly garden city, everything the way that it was supposed to be, but even better. But before we get there, here's our role. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, we read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a reconciler. You are made in the image of God, the true reconciler, and you have been given this calling to be his agent, his representative of reconciliation in the world. I recently read a book on biblical interpretation by this guy named Christopher Watkin. And in his book, he was describing how the biblical story out-narrates every other story in the world that tries to make sense of the world. It's the bigger story that encompasses all other stories. It's the bigger story that makes sense of the world. And in particular, Christopher Watkins says this. Out-narrating out is not about telling the better story in the sense of being the most gripping or necessarily satisfying. It is about telling the bigger story, the story within which all other stories find their place. As Canadians, we hear the word reconciliation and we often think automatically of Indigenous reconciliation, and in particular, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But as followers of Jesus, we don't start there. We start with God's vision of reconciliation in the world, and we locate Indigenous reconciliation within that. And when we do that, we see a very clear picture of Canada's history and where we went wrong, and we see a hope for the future. So my sister Krista uh, is a teacher with the Burnaby School Board, and she's doing some really cool stuff in the Burnaby School District around Indigenous re reconciliation and education. And she recently did a presentation, and she pointed out how Canada is a country of separation, not integration. She talks about how Indigenous people historically were separated from land, separated from one another, but also every person who came to Canada was also separated from their homeland, from their home culture. So we are a nation of people who are living out of these four broken relationships all the time. If ever we needed the gospel of reconciliation, the time is now. And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. My nation is called the Namgis First Nation. And Namgis means we are one when we are together. This oneness is my cultural identity. I come from a line of hereditary chiefs, and in our system of governance, there were multiple chiefs that had different roles. 
Uh, and our family role was the winter chief. We were the winter chiefs. Now, in the summer, all of the people would scatter to the various territories, all the different clans for hunting and fishing and whatever else. But in the winter, everybody would come together. And when everybody came together, this is when the sacred stories were shared and songs and dance. This was a time of reconciliation, being reconciled to creator, to each other, to ourselves, to the earth. The summertime was considered ordinary time or secular time, and the winter time was considered sacred time. So in our family, the winter chief of our clan presided over this sacred time. And traditionally in indigenous culture, we know that these four relationships belong together. They are integrated with one another. They can't be torn apart. And this is where traditional indigenous culture aligns with the biblical story uh, as told through the lens of reconciliation. Here's the great tragedy. Through colonization, these four relationships were systematically broken, intentionally broken, and often done so in the name of Jesus. Let's look at those relationships again. The first one is between humans and God. Colonizers never acknowledged that God was already in Canada, preparing the way for people to hear and receive the good news that Jesus came to finish all of the stories. Under the guise of evangelism, distance was created between people and the parts of God that they already knew. The relationship between humans and the earth was broken. Through the creation of reserves, people were forcibly removed from the land, uh, their traditional territories, their ways of connecting with creator through creation was broken. And then through residential schools, children were removed from their land. The relationships between humans and each other was broken. Residential schools intentionally removed children from their home, from their families, because this was the main conduit for transmitting culture. And then when children arrived at the residential schools, they were purposefully separated from their siblings and from their cousins. And then when people returned home to their reserves, something had changed within them, and they had trouble integrating back into community. And this is because the fourth relationship had been broken between humans and themselves. The main aim of the residential school system was to, quote, kill the Indian in the child. The main aim was to cause shame. I have a friend who talks about how residential schools, through residential schools, the church taught him to hate himself in the name of Jesus. The church was not living into its calling to participate in God's mission to reconcile all things. The church was actively working against it and therefore actively working against God's mission in the world. Now, my family no longer holds the hereditary chief title. A number of generations ago, it was given away by our ancestor, Chief Joe Harris. And we grew up with lots of different stories about why this happened. And my sister was recently connecting with an elder who said, oh, you know why he gave it up, right? Like he became a Christian. He became a follower of Jesus. And the missionaries told him that he couldn't be the winter chief and be a follower of Jesus at the same time. And so, if this is true, we don't know if this story is true. It's just one of many that are floating around. If this is true, then he was told that to follow Jesus, he had to break relationship with his community and with himself. To not step into this role for which he had been born 
and he had prepared for his entire life. I imagine where my people would have been if he had been presented with this gospel of reconciliation where Jesus makes sense of the stories, where Jesus completes the stories. What would it have looked like for our ancestor, Chief Joe Harris, to hear this gospel of reconciliation when he is the chief of the people who are one when we are together? But it's not just that. The church would have been different too. How would the church have been different? The church in Canada have been different. If we had received this vision of God who reconciles all things, our vision of God would have expanded. And as our vision of God expanded, our vision of who we are would have expanded. We would have understood who we are in light of this more expansive God. And our vision of relationship would have expanded, especially in light of a culture that is inherently relational. And our vision of God's earth would have expanded. We probably wouldn't have the Canada that we have now had the gospel of reconciliation been the driver behind first contact. My sister pointed out to me as I was chatting with her this past week how humorous it is that God, God does funny things all the time. Uh, he would call somebody who is a descendant of the winter chief, the one who pre presides over sacred time, to go move to the land of winter in Thunder Bay to preside over the sacred time in our church where we are embracing this call to be reconcilers in the world. We are one when we are together. But it's not just our calling in Thunder Bay. It's our calling as the wider church. We are all called to be reconcilers in the world. In his book, Good News and Good Works, Ronald J. Sider writes this. I'm absolutely convinced that this full biblical gospel is what our broken world needs. It certainly needs the fantastic news of forgiveness, but it also longs to hear and see the amazing truth that right now, there is a reconciled and reconciling community that broken people can enter and be loved and nurtured towards fullness. If even a quarter of the world's Christian would both preach and live Jesus' full gospel of the kingdom, we would see revival and church growth on a scale never before seen. In addition, the world would become a better place. Just as an aside, the world will become a better place. My encouragement to you, Town and Field Church, is to see yourselves as reconcilers. To love one another. To be reconciled to one another as a community. Because the first step is to be a reconciled church. And as we do lean into this calling to be a reconciled church, something amazing begins to happen. Jesus himself said that the world will know who God is through our love for one another. Uh, when we first got to Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay, um, we looked around <laughs> and we saw a primarily white church that wanted to engage in the city, be a church for the city. And so, on a limb, went out and hired an indigenous pastor. Uh, when we, got, when we got there, we began to pray, what is God calling us to do? It became very clear to us that in order to engage in reconciliation in the city, we had some work to do in our own church. We as a church had a history of abuses of power. 
in particular, clergy abuse and sexual abuse in the church. How could we step out as a church, as reconcilers in the world, with a population that has historically been abused, if we ourselves were guilty of doing the same things? And so we entered into an intentional process, and you probably have heard some of the things that we've been doing, and it's been hard, it's been difficult, and apologies have been made, and we've been whew, mending broken relationships, but something amazing is happening. God is showing up. His presence is felt when we meet together. We are one when we are together, and somehow the God's presence is manifested in our midst because God, the God of reconciliation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loves it when we come together in unity. People are being healed. People are meeting Jesus for the first time. And our church is growing in indigenous people and in people of color. And here is my suspicion. That as people are showing up and they're seeing a church earnestly leaning into this messy reconciliation work, they are seeing Jesus in our midst. And again, I come back to it. Jesus said this would happen. The world will know us through our love for one another. And so I close with this. If we ever come to mind, pray for us. We're in Thunder Bay. You guys are here, but we are all one. We are all part of Christ's body, and he is the head of the church. And in that vein, I want to close and I want to pray for you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, at the center of the universe is you, a relationship. And you have made us for relationship as well. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever seeds you have for us today, whatever part of this gospel of reconciliation you have for us today, that you would plant that deep in our hearts and you would allow that to grow. Father, I pray for those here who are in broken relationships, Lord, if it is possible that you would mend them. Where forgiveness needs to be asked, you would give courage. Where forgiveness needs to be offered, you would give courage. Where conversations need to be had, I pray that you would open up those conversations. Where truth needs to be spoken, I pray truth, that truth would be spoken. Where grace needs to be offered, I pray that grace would be offered. Where silence needs to happen, I pray that silence and listening would happen. God, you are so good. And we know that your prayer for us is that we would be one as you are one. And so I pray that over this church, Jesus. Make this church one as you are one. And make yourself known in this city through the unity of this church. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. If you'd all uh, stand with us, we can sing in response.
Thank you. 
this week let's be reminded about when Jesus says in John 10 that he's the good shepherd and all those who come to him receive abundant life and I think the abundant life is that God has reconciled us in those four areas that Pastor Melissa highlighted and part of the abundant life is walking into that fully holistic perspective of reconciliation and as gospel people people who walk as people who um have been redeemed because of the work of the cross and resurrection. May we be gospel people in our workplaces and in our city, reconciling those who are far from God. Amen? Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.